Are you a new or aspiring woman leader that wants to make a successful leap into leadership? Do you want to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so that you can become the kind of leader other people want to follow? Welcome to The Leadership Leap, a show that is all about helping women to become more confident about making the leap into leadership. Now, here is your host, Leanne Pico. Hi there. Welcome to The Leadership Leap. Leanne Pico here, your host. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. I hope you're keeping safe and healthy. Um, you know what? I've been saying that for the last few, well, let's say months now during the pandemic. I hope you're keeping safe and healthy. And for me and for a lot of you out there, those words have changed in the last couple of weeks. And um, it's been a tough time. It's been a tough time. And in a way, safe and healthy at this stage feels like a privilege. And I think it's really important for us uh, amidst um, what's been happening in the world to reflect on what it actually means to feel safe. And I say feel safe, not just be safe, feel safe, as well as be safe, as well as what does it mean to be healthy as an individual, as a community, as a country. Um, Today's show, we are going to talk about some really important stuff and um, the last couple of weeks, we have seen a lot of things happening in America. We have seen a man effectively hunted down in the street, a black man who was just out jogging. We have seen a young black woman killed in her home. Uh, she was sleeping. It was a case of mistaken identity. And we've seen a, a, another black man murdered on TV by someone who is supposed to protect and serve him. And I'm in Canada right now, and the temptation is to sit in my armchair and watch telly and and look and think, ooh, that's a lot of stuff happening in America. And it is, and it's not to downplay it. It's absolutely, there's so much happening, a lot of protests, which has been great to see. Um, But for those of us in other countries, it is not a time for us to sit back and congratulate ourselves on doing better. So, Really, today's show is dedicated to two topics, one of which is what I'm referring to right now, which is um, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot, which is being an ally. What does it mean? Um, Does being an ally mean that we finally see it on TV? As a white person, I see it on TV directly in front of me, so now I know, oh, it's true, it's real. Well, people of color, and in particular black people in in this instance, and especially black men have been seeing it, feeling it, experiencing it for many, many years. Um, We also have another challenge, which is it also is affecting people of color as well as the general population, which is COVID-19 is still uh, very much a part of our lives. And um, a a lot of people are, are sick, but many more are jobless and unemployed. So today we're going to talk about two really important issues and and, um, things that are impacting us. It's uh, such a delight to have two very, very committed, qualified, 
fabulous women to talk with me today about both of these issues. So first, uh, I'll let you know, Gurpreet Kaurman is our HR superhero, and I'm delighted that she's here today. She dropped in on an unusual day, which is, uh, I, I, you know, which is so good. She'll be here at the, at the end of the show to talk with us about job searching during COVID-19, and it's really an important thing. She's got a, a big voice in saying, don't stop, keep going, don't give up hope. So we need some hope today. So that's at the end of the show. And then we're also going to start with Christina Sakifio with the Inclusion Zone. And we have a special kind of focus on that today, um, as I mentioned, around allyship. And Christina talks a lot about this. And, and she's one of my favorite inclusion folks because she is not a, and you know, all inclusion folks do good work. But what I love about Christina is she's, she always helps me learn and isn't afraid to kind of dig into the the uncomfortable stuff with me and with others. So we're going to talk about allyship. And uh, for a lot of us who I see it on LinkedIn, I see it on Facebook, I see it all over the place. All of a sudden, lots of people have lots of things to say. But we want to talk about what does it really mean to be an ally? What does it mean to be an ally in leadership? And how does accountability factor in? So let me tell you a little bit about Christina. She's the principal consultant and owner of Boldly Inclusive, a consulting and training firm specializing in diversity, equity, inclusion. Christina uh, takes an inclusion first perspective and you can listen to um, our previous shows to hear the work she is doing on um, creating bold change. And uh, now we need bold leaders. And so, Christina, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Leanne. Thank you so much. And thank you for having this conversation. Of course. And I, I appreciate you being here to talk about it with me. It's It's been a, a, a tough couple of weeks. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, you know, continuing to keep up the good fight as we all have to, um, you know, especially in this, in light of injustice. Um, but I do want to recognize, if you don't mind me saying, um, because I do realize that a lot of the conversation we've had right now and the conversation we will be having is around accountability and allyship, you know, in the context of, of what's happening right now in the world. But in Canada, it's Indigenous History Month. It's Pride Month. It's National Accessibility Week. So, um, you know, all of these things are happening all at once. Um, so with everything happening, I just want to say that I acknowledge, you know, that these, um, you know, that these observances are happening, um, especially as Martin Luther King said, you know, justice anywhere is a threat to, adjust, to justice everywhere, um, but also because there's an intersectionality there. So as we talk about race, um, you know, we want to acknowledge the intersection of race and indigeneity. Right. Um, you know, there are black trans whose lives are in danger as well. And, you know, there was another person who, um, you know, died last last week under murky circumstances as well. Um, Tony McDade, um, you know, there are people with disabilities. So so many of these stories, um, you know, intersect, but often don't get heard. So I just want to acknowledge that as we talk about allyship and accountability, um, you know, that that these folks are also seen, um, you know, within this context. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for bringing up the intersectionality uh, because there is, it's a complex um, subject. It's often made into a complex thing, but it actually isn't. We we're, we all are uh, a result of some kind of intersection. And when we kind of, we create these cardboard cutouts of, of people and make it easier to judge and discriminate and abuse, right? 
Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, I guess, the danger of a single story, as, um, you know, mm. Adiche uh, says, uh, you know, so beautifully in her TED Talk. Um, but yeah, we want to make sure that we're capturing all of the stories and showing how injustice happens in all spaces and how we really need to be aware and recognize, um, you know, these, these challenges and, and be ready to confront them. So yes, absolutely. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, it's an amazing uh, TED Talk. You can even just Google a single, the danger of a single story. It is a, a beautiful reflection on um, how we can, you know, oversimplify things. But, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things that what, in a way, the last couple of weeks and, and in recognition that there are other observances happening, we we it's maybe useful to focus a little bit on a on a bit of a single story at Mm-hmm. during this period of time, which is kind of really playing out uh, in terms of, you know, you know, I didn't even actually, I didn't even mention in my intro, you know, the Central Park incident with uh, a white woman calling the police. Like, we've had so much happening um, yeah. that, you know, uh, in a way, uh, and I I am going to uh, say as a white woman who's worked in social justice for many years, it, none of the things that have happened have been a surprise. And at the same time, they have also been another awakening for me. But for some folks, and I see it in the professional space in particular, I mean, honestly, like it's been so interesting to go from, you know, on LinkedIn, for example, there are a lot of people who wouldn't have said anything because it wasn't considered professional. And then the feed is flooded with, um, lots of statements of support and thoughts about what's happening. What do you think about that? And what do you think about what it means in terms of, you know, being an ally and allyship as, as we call it? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think right now we are in a huge moment, right? Um, you know, just as you said, uh, right now we're in a time where people have to confront, uh, you know, the, 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 status quo, they have to understand, they have to confront, um, you know, what's happening in the world and, and, you know, this change that we're seeing, I'm hoping that it's going to take us to some meaningful change down the road, uh, simply because, you know, traditionally, uh, it's been difficult to reconcile all of these things and to have these kinds of conversations because the tradition is that we don't talk about politics in polite company, right? Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is that our bodies are politicized anyway, right? And, you know, the deal is that some people have the choice or the ability or the privilege not to see this truth, while others have to live this reality every day, right? So I think right now we're at a point where we're starting to have a very different conversation, and I'm really hopeful that this is a conversation that can be sustained, especially as we start to, um, you know, inquire about what it means to be an ally. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. And you know what, I, I think um, the thing is, is that and it, it's funny, because a couple of weeks ago, I posted something on LinkedIn myself, which is because I struggle with the word ally, it feels very mm-hmm. passive to me. And so one of my, my things is, you know, really, we all need to be advocates. And, you know, um, so without, that's kind of my interpretation of allyship. So what do you think for you, what does it mean to you? And, and what do you think it means to people right now to be an ally? 
So I think that there's um, a couple of ways that people are talking about allyship right now. I have a very firm belief in, in one, um, you know, one, one of these iterations. So I think that the short answer, uh, the one that I think a lot of people are kind of a little bit more familiar with, is the idea that an ally is a person who seeks to use their power and privilege to work in solidarity with mar- marginalized groups and individuals, right? So you'll see that in terms of, you know, um, the public statements that we've seen from many different companies posting, um, you know, on social media, Black Lives Matter and the like. Um, And I think that's a good start, but it's not at all, you know, where the conversation ends when it comes to allyship. So from there, I like to think about the longer answer to that um, and that the reality is that allyship is a process. Right. So allyship, then, it's a commitment to ongoing learning and, where necessary, unlearning in order to understand how systems of oppression play out. And this includes both, you know, individual and structural impacts. Um, recognize these systems in, in action when we do see them. Accept our own complicity in keeping and upholding mm-hmm. these systems of oppression Mm-hmm. and to actively confront them in solidarity with marginalized groups and individuals, right? So there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle before we can even start talking about acting in solidarity. And that said, I think, you know, when we think about it, ultimately what we're saying is that um, allyship means actually having to do the hard work. It means having to share, um, you know, our power. It means having to, um, you know, confront some things that might be uncomfortable to us. And, you know, when we do this work on an ongoing and continuous basis, what ends up happening is that if we do it well and we do this in a way that's meaningful to, um, you know, communities who have been placed on the margins, it becomes a title that's earned, right? So we don't Mm -hmm. call ourselves um, allies. It's the people who we are standing in solidarity with who say, you know what, this this is what it looks like to be an ally, right? So they're the ones who define what allyship looks like. I love that. And uh, interestingly, when we were, I was posting to um, kind of share about this show and I had, we had a comment about that from, from a gentleman who raised such a good point. And I, I love mm-hmm. the, the reality is it, it's funny because, um, you know, it really does make me look at and think about as, you know, and for me as a white woman, I'm, I'm not so proud of my group right now uh, in terms of, you know, often, uh, a lot of the abusive kind of privilege is, is being used by white women to kind of get their way on things uh, in various places. Um, but I, I think about, you know, a lot of us who are kind of been more liberal focused, who've, and I say liberal with a small L in terms of mm-hmm. it's not about a political party, it's about a belief system. Um, and that often, you know, it's, it feels good to say, I'm an ally, I'm an ally, but you're absolutely right. It, I don't get to decide if I'm, not, if I'm an ally. It is the people that are impacted by my efforts or non-efforts that decide that. Mm-hmm. I love, I love that challenge. I think that's an amazing challenge for us all. Yeah, and I think what you said right now is just so poignant, right? Because it's a challenge, ultimately, at the end of the day, right? It's, you know, it's understanding that there's an embedded accountability within allyship, right? Because ultimately, Mm -hmm. when you see power and privilege playing out, when you see it in action, you have that responsibility to speak up, to speak out, and to speak in alignment with those on the margins, right? So it's a challenge, but it's also a responsibility. And that's where that accountability lies when it comes to allyship. 
In a big way, and especially in leadership, because I, I see a lot of company statements, and then it, you follow the path, and you look at their leadership team, and you look at their board of directors or their shareholders. It's a lot. There's a lot of white faces there, a lot of white male faces, which is why we have this show. Is kind of saying, mm-hmm. hey, <laughs> you know, uh, we can talk about equity, but let's actually do it. So that's one of the things I've I've always loved about you, Christina, is is that you hold people's feet to the fire and say. That's good talk, but how about accountability? So I, I do you have an example of where, you know, somebody's talking quite and there are so many examples, but maybe for people to understand kind of where um, you know, how this works in terms of we can be very front facing about what we think and feel and how we support, but then the back end doesn't follow up. I think you you probably have a, a story or two to share about that. Yeah, um, actually, there's one that I've been following um, coming out of the U- uh, UK um, over the past few weeks. So it's actually very relevant, and things actually happened. So there was um, it came to a close last week, Friday, um, as well. So um, it's it's probably very poignant and timely, and it, it speaks to us about what what allyship could look like or what it should have looked like in this case. Um, so I can share that example um, with you. Um, so. Let me start off by saying when I think about, when I think about, um, you know, allyship within this context, right? It goes further than the performative pieces of the puzzle, right? It's really about, you know, the cultural iceberg. So I know many of us have probably seen that cultural iceberg. There are elements that we see above the surface and that's what's projected to us. Right in terms of of you know symbols, ideas, the ways in which we um, you know do as an organization, right. and, and there's a lot of stuff that happens underneath the surface. So this example actually shows what happens beneath the surface. Um, okay, so in this case, um, you know, and some of your listeners might already know this story. Um, it's about Belly Mujinga, who was a frontline um, essential worker in the UK. She's a railway ticket agent, and she died um, recently of COVID nineteen. Um, and what had happened was that uh, a customer, uh, you know, had intentionally spat on her. And this customer, before doing so, yeah. said that he has COVID-19. Right. right. And if you're interested, the whole story and all of its details are covered in the British media. I've blogged about it as well. Um, so the thing is that when you break down this story into its different components, um, what you can see are four ways in which um, if leaders had used their power, their privilege, and had really chosen, you know, to strive for advocate or strive to a- strive for allyship, um, that she might still be here today. So the first is that, you know, she disclosed to her employers that she had an underlying, um, you know, medical condition that left her at severe risk, but no action was taken to protect her. So if a leader in the organization had stepped up to advocate for her, and this goes back to what you were saying, that piece around allyship and advocacy, but if someone had stepped up to advocate for basic PPE, advocated for him, their employers to bring their own, perhaps we'd be in a totally different story. So that's one, mm-hmm. it's advocacy, right? Second, when it comes to the leadership piece, right, what could have happened is that um, the leaders could have taken the initiative to develop a plan for redeployment. And that's something Mm -hmm. else that they didn't do. Right. Again, knowing that she already had this condition and probably many of her colleagues had, um, you know, this would have kept them safe while working while also maintaining their workforce. Right. But they weren't ready to do that additional work. Mm -hmm. The third is that they could have taken action. 
right? So in this case, Belly, another colleague who'd, al- who'd also been involved in the attack as well, and a third staff member who'd witnessed it, all reported the um, incident to their manager. And instead of calling the police, they asked for the police to be called. Instead of calling the police, the manager sent them back to work at their post, right? So they're feeling unsafe. They're feeling fearful. But what ended up happening was inaction, right? And this is where privilege lies. They had the privilege to choose inaction, right? Right. And they had the power to say, we're going to take care of this however we feel to. You go back and, and, and continue working in your unsafe environments, right? So then there's that piece around not taking action, right? Right. And the fourth piece is that, um, you know, when it comes to doing the actual work, leaders, the leaders could have recognized that the people who are most affected, right, because Belly, she was a black woman, she's an immigrant, she's a frontline worker in a junior position, those people are not at the decision-making table. So the things that impact them, like PPE, like safety, um, like workplace violence, like those protocols, they're not there to influence any of those things. So a leader who wants to strive for allyship should be able to recognize their absence from these conversations and either take the step to, you know, seek out their insights or to say, I'm going to speak out on behalf on what's, of what's right in this situation, but no one did that. So when I look at this case, it's a, it's a very devastating case and such a sad case, but ultimately there are lessons that we can learn from this to show how when we're looking at that iceberg, it's not just about having the policies and procedures, it's how do we use our, our um, power and privilege to, um, you know, to advocate for, to be there for, to take action for, to, um, you know, speak up for those who are on the margins at the end of the day. Wow. And it's such a good example. And I have been following the story and I just feel like, um, you know, you've done that very well in terms of kind of helping us understand kind of the processes within organization and leaders role. Can I add another layer, which is, Um, The systemic layer, um, and in Britain, it was pretty obvious that um, COVID-19 was improportionately affecting people of color as well. Mm -hmm. Like, it it was noticed, unfortunately, very few countries have, and, you know, and this is a whole other uh, issue around collecting data um, and the data that, you know, good data that enables us to make good decisions about things. But it was it was very obvious and they started collecting data about in. And so another piece to the that is that the leaders, there's a systemic understanding of a way that the world is impacting or, or an issue or the world or a disease is impacting people of color. Mm-hmm. That would have yeah, been a good absolutely. starting point too, right? To say this, this woman, she is at risk in many different ways from many different angles. Absolutely. And I think what it comes down to is that, you know, um, how can you enact protections if a person isn't really seen? Right. And I think that's what it comes down to is that they didn't see her. They didn't see her in her humanity. They didn't see her in terms of this conversation of power and privilege. They didn't see her as part of this larger conversation about vulnerability when it comes to, um, you know, uh, COVID-19. They just didn't see her. And that was totally proven by the fact that, you know, six, it took six weeks after she died before, um, you know, there was any kind of investigation by the police. Right. Mm. So things continued on as, you know, status quo. Um, But on the other side of that was that it happened that 
at that time when the police started doing their investigation, so this was only actually a few weeks ago, um, mid-May, if I recall, that was the first time that this, that these, the staff in the organization started to receive masks. So mm-hmm. it coincided with when the, when the um, you know, investigation was launched. So, you know, it kind of comes back to that question of within this larger context, <laughs> right? Recognizing yeah. that there's these, yes. oh my gosh, these severe um, vulnerabilities, um, you know, what actions are being taken and whose lives uh, are being valued. Absolutely. And I'm glad we focused mm-hmm. on this today because I think that there are um, some more overt examples of this. And so for a lot of uh, people who think that they're allies and, and companies in particular and leaders who kind of say, well, we don't, you know, beat down people in our, like we don't overtly do it. So we are an ally. And in actual fact, what I'm loving, Christina, is you are putting the gauntlet down and saying, hello, actually, in action is as damaging as action against, mm-hmm. right? Like it is, it is both. It is both. And so when we don't, you, you cannot call yourself an ally, as you say, unless you are taking action yes. as a leader, exactly. right? That's exactly. bottom line. Yes, bottom line. Yeah. So what action, what action can leaders take? So say they're in a, they're in a, in a a kind of a, a kind of a space where they are. And, and, you know, we're talking about community leaders, corporate leaders, public sector leaders, nonprofit leaders, like all leaders have a, a, a possibility of being complicit by not being active enough. What can we do? Um, so three things come to mind immediately. Um, the first is that, is that essentially leaders are going to have to lean into the discomfort, right? Um, you know, this is a time, and you said this right at the beginning of the show, this is a time where white and non-black people are now starting to join this fight that's been happening for hundreds of years, right? So to be an ally and to walk alongside people on the margins, it requires building trust. And as we all know, building trust takes time. So for those of us who've never really had to prove ourselves, in this way, it's going to be uncomfortable, undoubtedly, but I'm going to encourage you to lean in, right? So lean into that discomfort. So that's the first thing that I would say. Second, um, um, just I'd Christina, say, yep, mm-hmm. sorry, may I yes. just jump in there and just let's Absolutely, be really yep. clear when, when we lean into the discomfort and it's a bit uncomfortable, it's not the same as oppression. Mm-hmm. So let's just, I just want to say that really strongly, you know, th- yes. I'm a little bit uncomfortable, therefore I'm in solidarity because uh, I understand what it means to be oppressed. You don't. So stop it. Okay. Yes. Number two. <laughs> and, and, yes. Thank you for that. Thank you. And this is why, um, you know, these conversations are always so great because, you know, we get to go there, right? We get to yeah. do that deep dive. So thank you for saying that, Leanne. I think that's a very important part uh, point. Second is look beneath the surface. So kind of going back to that iceberg, um, you know, conversation, I think that it's very tempting to stay on that easy definition of allyship, right? To, you know, to be safe, to stay on social media, to tweet Black Lives Matters, to perhaps donate. But I think that true responsiveness requires shifting the culture, right? And this is socially, but it's also in our organizations too. It's walking the talk. Right. So this means doing that deep dive. It means facing your complicity. It means identifying what needs to be changed and committing to it. And it means sharing your power on a continuous basis. Yes. Right. So it's not a one time thing. And I think the third piece of the puzzle is recognizing the trauma. 
right? So, you know, if we're going to encourage our teams to be authentic, to bring your whole self to the table, we can't expect them to leave their pain and leave their fear at home. Right? right. So leaders have to be recon- have to recognize this. They need to have this in purview in their purview when formulating any kind of response to anti-black racism. But they also have to recognize that it's important that they don't reinscribe this trauma in their actions as well. Absolutely. And just to say, because I've seen a number of things uh, out there where um, you know people um, are kind of calling out the fact that um, our friends and colleagues in the black community are having to just, you know, business as usual, even though it's been, you know, everybody's kind of like, wow, that's a lot's happening. Oh, just still get on with your normal work. So how can we best support people who are affected right now in in organizations and in our personal relationships? Well, I think, um, you know, in organizations, so I'll start off with our personal relationships first. Um, I think that if you are close with, you have a close friend or a close colleague, check in on them. I think it's as simple as sending a quick text or an email. Um, but I also want to recognize, kind of going back to that piece around trauma, is that we all deal with trauma differently. So if you are close with this person, you'll have a better sense of whether they want to have a conversation about it. or whether they just want to get on with it, right? Because some people just want to say, you know, in this space, I just, I can't deal with this conversation right now. I just need to continue moving forward, right? Right. Um, And honor that, right? So you you shouldn't have any expectations when you reach out. So I think that's the one thing in, in terms of like the interpersonal piece of the puzzle. When it comes to organizations, I think it really just comes down to walking the talk. So it, I think it means having to go beyond the public statement and say, I want to understand what's happening in my organization, but doing the work to do so, right? So not just expecting, you know, and I, I've heard many stories of this sort, um, you know, where somebody is the one black member of staff and in a Zoom meeting, all the attention is focused on them. In HR, that's yeah. not the best practice to begin with, to isolate and, you know, make someone feel like they're the only. So we want to make sure that we're not doing that. We want to be able to do our own research to take that initiative. Um, and we want to say these are the best practices that we know of in terms of anti-blackness, um, you know, like challenging anti-blackness in workplaces and put those things in place. So things like, um, you know, mentorship uh, programs, things like, um, you know, leadership development to, to help people advance into roles, um, you know, uh, unbiased hiring practices as well. And I think that's a big piece. And that's actually um, some of the work that I've been doing in terms of my own coaching um, work as well with different organizations up until recently as well. Um, so looking at the, uh, you know, the inherent biases within those processes, looking at who we value, who speaks up in meetings, right? So looking at our team meeting cultures, there's so many ways that we can look at our organizations and say, where does anti-blackness and anti-racism reside and start to do that work of, you know, deconstructing that. But that means having to do the deep dive. It does. And Mm -hmm. also, um, and I'm going to say this very blatantly, um, it also means investing. It it means investing time, attention, resources Mm -hmm. in getting help to, to move through um, to a more equitable space. So f- I'm going to just call out the leaders of, of organizations and companies. I know it's been really tough, right? I know that whether you're a small, medium or large sized organization, COVID-19 has had a major impact mm-hmm. um, and you've been disrupted. 
embrace it. You're in disruption. Get some help. Call Christina boldly and Christina at boldlyinclusive.co. She and other there are other wonderful inclusion folks, but I personally recommend Christina right now. <laughs> and um, it's it's really about having somebody come and help you, and 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 help you be different. And so allyship means investing and taking action. It's not just a nice company statement on LinkedIn. That's a good start. That's great, but your culture and and the things you are doing need to change, as Christina has pointed out. How are you going to move your iceberg? How are you going to reduce the under undermath or mass of your iceberg mm-hmm. to make sure that you have a safe, healthy place for people to work? Christina, thank you so much for your wisdom and for sharing your thoughts. Um, so where, where's your thank blog? You, you did post a really great blog. What's your website so people can read your blog as well about yeah, um, so the example you gave? Yeah, it's boldlyinclusive.co. So um, you can find me there um, if you want to connect. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn as well. So just look up Christina Secchi-Field. But all of the information is on, um, you know, the, the, the um, radio show's page as well. So you can connect with me through any of those avenues. Okay. And then you also, you're doing coaching and really your the, the aim is to like the name of your business says it all boldly inclusive and, and, you know, how bold do you want to be uh, in terms of your inclusivity? And so, you know, work with Christina to find out. Thanks, Christina. You're very welcome. Thank you so much, Leanne. Take care. Okay, so now I'd like to, um, we're, we're not taking a break today, we're going straight through because we want to dedicate as much as ta- uh, time as possible to both of these conversations that we're having. Um, so now I'm going to welcome Gurpreet Kaurman, our HR superhero. I know every time I do the show I have to say it because it's such a good name. Um, but I'll tell you about Gurpreet, she's going to talk to us a little bit about job searching through COVID-19. Um, Gurpreet Kaurman is an HR professional with 14 plus years of human resources experience, who now runs her own HR consulting firm, HR Superhero, and she helps small and medium-sized organizations to attract and retain talent by day and by night. She is a career strategist coach. Gurpreet, welcome to the show again. Thank you, Leanne. Thank you. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. You've, I've been enjoying watching your uh, your advocacy around um, the experiences of people of color in the last couple of weeks, as well as supporting a lot of uh, people through their kind of challenges with job searching. Yes, thank, thank you. Um, it's uh, I guess it's something that I should have done a long time ago. <laughs> um, voiced my own. Um, experiences through being a person of color myself um, it was just long overdue so I'm glad yeah. that it gave me the push to to use my platform uh, LinkedIn to voice the real issues and I loved what um, Christina said at the ally that we keep hearing and then this is one of my fears is this, I hope this doesn't become a like a trend thing Yes. Um, everybody's jumping on it, but no one's really understanding the depth of it. And in order for you to change, if you really want to change, like I just wrote the post yesterday about this, you got to come up with a long-term solution. This is not a one-off time, let me voice my opinion on it, and then that's it. <laughs> you right. got to integrate exactly. it in your daily life. 
Absolutely. And thank you for that. And and just to recognize, you know, the thing is, is that it's really important. I, I think a lot of us are feeling a bit like I wish I'd spoken up sooner. But the reality is, is the culture of the professional kind of air quote professional area is to not speak up. And so that's what I'm loving right now is seeing a bit of a, a lot of disruption of that mm-hmm. um, and that people are taking the risk no matter what, they feel like it's worth risking saying something. So I yeah. hope that you, I hope that what you're talking about, which is that it's an integration into how people are, I hope that's going to be the case too. The only reason, um, you know, prior to this, I never spoke up because anytime I tried to, I was shot down very quickly. Yes. Uh, that you're, you're, you're playing the victim card or you blame me. Yeah. Even today, I had someone write a comment like that on my post. Um, where I'm not even playing the victim card and I'm just recognizing something that I've never recognized before. Um, but yeah, like I, I would say people of color, if they ever try to voice in the past, we were quickly shot down even by our own peers <laughs> mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. for speaking on a matter and it was just taken out of context. Um, but I'm glad that everybody is speaking up on it. Um, you know, to me, color isn't defined. I don't see, I, I, we are all colored. <laughs> all yes. of us are one color. Yeah, some of our skin tones are different, but we're still one human being. I would love to see a world where there's more love and then, than hate. Yes, that's beautiful. Absolutely right. And and that's and part of it is and I saw a couple of weeks ago that you had spoken up about women of color in particular struggling in in some areas and and um I remember seeing somebody uh, a gentleman kind of say you know call you out for it and and it and so one of the things that I I think is really important and kind of Christina talked about it earlier is about the single story that not every person of color has the same experience and so exactly. if you if you haven't experienced it yourself it does not mean that someone else hasn't uh, and that's the same for white folks which is you know we how can we possibly understand what it's like like there's a a lot of um white people that are kind of saying i can't believe and it's kind of like really (laughs) it's been shown to us a long time but there is an element of that because they have never had to worry walking down the street that a policeman was going to kill them for something quite small right like it's just it's just not their experience yeah and honestly i would say it's also uh the the ones that are saying really I think it's, I, I, I empathize with them because I don't, I believe that because they don't have people of color friends. Right. If right. you have, um, like, I'm blessed, I'm grateful to grow up, to grow up in Toronto, to have diverse friends. Right. I, I'm a colored woman, but I might back, I think back on South Asian, but growing up, I didn't have, all my, all my friends are not South Asian. Right. I have, I'm blessed, I'm happy that now, now I really reflect back. I think I've been able to empathize with different cultures because I had friends from right. different cultures, uh, including white friends, including black friends, Asian, you name it. Like our high school yeah. table was the only table where we were actually called a multicultural table because we were the only table that was all multicultural. No one was speaking right. where everybody else was sticking to their own ethnic background. Our table was like the one table where multicultural. We had everybody covered. (laughs) Yeah. 
I think I think you're right. I think it, there's something about uh, having a deliberate personal experience about it. Thank you for that. Okay, so let's talk about, and I appreciate you sharing your experiences because it's um, it's important that we're hearing all voices, and like you say, that voices are stepping up and, and standing up. Yeah. Let's talk about COVID because, and um, the reason I want to talk to you today is because we, we've seen a, a huge number of uh, uh, unemployment numbers. We've got a lot of people unemployed and a lot of people feeling quite down about getting their getting a new job. And so what mm-hmm. I've loved seeing you is you're like this voice saying, don't stop, keep going. There's jobs out there. So tell us, what do you think the change, like what's, what do you think is different right now and why should people not give up on their job search, even though we're still in the midst of a pandemic? I think um, one common theme I keep hearing and people, when people also message me on LinkedIn is job markets closed. And I was like, huh? When? When does this happen? When does this happen? Like, no, it's closed. Um, Yeah. People are getting laid off. Just like any any time we have a crisis, be it recession and now it's COVID, there is there's always ups and downs. There are businesses that are flourishing, thrive. Right. Yes. Right now, right, um, yeah. and they're struggling to keep up with the demand, like healthcare. Anyone, any business that was deemed essential right from the start, like grocery stores, hand sanitizers, manufacturing, manufacturing. You know, a lot of companies pivoted. Also, right. To, uh, to create the products that we needed in, uh, during March time, during very crucial time when we hit COVID-19. Uh, I can only speak on Canada because we were one country that depended on outsourced. <laughs> Everything right. of yes. ours is outsourced, right? Uh, so we were one country that really got a rude awakening from this because our, both of our arms were chopped off because no one's going to supply to us now. Right. So we had to struggle and create these products from scratch. So I love, love, love Doug Ford for this, for stepping up to the plate, working night and day around Ontario, gearing up all manufacturing, all businesses to see wherever they can help. Um, so that was great, and that created more jobs. Um, that helped companies to also st- uh, hold on to their talent as well um, right. because they pivoted, right? So we've seen yes. a lot of, we're in March, I would say, was where, where companies took a pause and really worked on pivoting, uh, taking their company online, pivoting to working from home, right? So, yeah, yeah. we did see a big, big pause even in the job market during March but then we also see seeing companies that were hiring because they needed employees to right. keep because they were deemed essential. Um, so I think the key here, which I I'm vocal about this was still vocal about it, uh, but there's good news now. But before I was very vocal. I'm like, listen, you need to pivot. You need to pivot your job search mm-hmm. because right. the things that were working before for you. May not, but you also have to pivot in the sense that you really need to pay attention to the market to know which businesses you should be targeting right now because they're thriving. Right. And that's such a good point. And thank you for that because it, it, the, 
I think that's a, an extremely important message for job seekers um, is that they do need, they need to pivot too. Like it's, it's the word of 2020 in a way is pivot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what, what can they do? What can people do? What, what does a pivot look like? So if I'm a job seeker and I spend all my time on Indeed.com or Charity Village or uh, other, you know, around the world, different job boards, what can I do? You know, because those are, those are useful for sure. Like they are places where jobs are at, but it may not be all the jobs, right? Mm-hmm. So first I want to point out stats here about job boards. Uh Risa suggests, um, I've looked into this, and it makes sense. When you, rel- when you apply to jobs online, be it Indeed, Job Boards, Companies, Website, any of those, any online method, when you're applying to jobs online, you only actually have 5% chance of getting an interview. Right. And this was before COVID-19. So just imagine now um, uh, how low that percentage looks like because, yes, what we ha- we're experiencing right now is that it's employer's market, which means that right. there's more candidates looking for jobs than jobs available. Okay. So it's now become an employer market. Before COVID-19, it was employees, candidates market, where, you know, you had enough choices um, and maybe you weren't struggling with your job search before COVID-19. I've had people reach out to me and say, you know, I wasn't struggling before COVID-19, but now I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. So there's there's a bunch of things going on because your traditional job methods are not going to work in COVID-19 just because of the higher competition you're facing. Right. So what can you so do? Like, give us a couple tips. If we're so always, you look at you can find so the job boards might have the jobs, but there's intense competition. So we have to do more now, right? So what what more can we do? I would start with researching which companies are in demand right now, which companies' businesses are thriving. Uh, There's a great list somebody in my network posted uh, literally this week um, saying that there is 100-plus jobs right now in June in Toronto. And the good news is if you're in um, Canada area, a lot of the businesses are being reopened. Some Some provinces already started. Um, and now some are following in Ontario as well. Like we've I've hit phase one and I think we're going into phase two. Um, so tons and tons of businesses are hiring as they're reopening as well. So the best thing to do would be to do market research on which companies are thriving due to COVID-19. Um, right. If they're thriving, that means they have a hiring, higher chances of them having a hiring need. Second thing is, you know, I'm HR and I know the HR people might not like what I'm about to say next, is, you know, if you're not an HR professional, bypass us. Just bypass us. Go straight <laughs> to the source. Radical, Gurpreet. Radical suggestion. We're not That's the awesome. Makers, <laughs> right? That's like, the challenge. Absolutely uh, right. If, yeah. if I'm hiring, I know somebody, when I posted this, I had a couple of people recruiters didn't like what I said, but I'm like, I'm not giving wrong advice here. I'm not a decision maker. You're not a decision maker unless we're hiring for our own team. You don't need me. You don't need to. um, I think this is where a lot of job seekers, even in the past, have been going wrong with their job searches. They're targeting recruiters and HR. I'm not saying don't target them, but your sole target shouldn't be us. 
If right. unless you're an HR professional or a recruiter, right? Then target us, yeah, because we'll be the hired decision makers, no problem. But you need to identify, and it's easy to do this, you need to identify possible hiring managers in the companies that are thriving. And it's mm-hmm. really easy to do that because we call LinkedIn. Yes. Yeah, right? Um, and and the other reason, easy part is hiring managers are usually like manager titles. They all have manager titles, director titles. So it's a little bit easy to navigate. Uh, if you know your 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 profession, you'll know exactly who to target because look at when you worked, who did you report into? Was it a manager? Uh, was it a director, right? So you want to target them, but then in a strategic way. So don't send them a LinkedIn message with, I'm looking for a job and here's my resume. Oh, um, thank you. Exactly. Please. Right? Yeah. They're not going to call you. <laughs> <laughs> they are not going to call. And I say no. that having been, I was an executive, an executive director and CEO. And you know what? I was always polite, but no, that, that wasn't what, um, you know, that, that felt like a sales pitch always. Yeah. I call it spamming. <laughs> yeah. You're spamming yeah. on LinkedIn yes. by sending all these messages. You want to instead to get a response. You want to be a little bit strategic here is I, I, and I, a lot of other people talk about this as well. So it's not something I made up. It's called pain points. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Every company is facing some pain uh, more than others or actually more than ever because of COVID-19. So there is a common denominator in every company right now is COVID-19 and the challenges that are coming with COVID-19 because we're living through uncertain times. Things are changing by the minute, by the week, right? Uh, so you want to identify their current problems. Mm-hmm. And the current problems are stemming from COVID-19. Right. So For that, you, com- you that can, particular company. Yeah. Potentially, and too. I, you, once you've done your market com- research. Yeah, if you do your market research. But honestly speaking, every company is challenge, has the challenge right now because of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's your starting point right there. Do your market research and see possible challenges. If you know the company is hiring, then reach the hiring manager directly and then ask them, you know, you came across the position, but you would love to know what are some of their top three pain points right now that they're struggling with and they need to fix it right away. Instead of you sending your resume, why not open the conversation directly asking them, what are they struggling with right now? Mm -hmm. And that would always get a response. Because you made it about them. You didn't make it about you. Mm-hmm. And last it's an week, interesting uh, idea. Kirpreet, just yes, before sorry, we finish there, can I ask a question about that? Yes. So we want to we be careful about it being genuine, though, right? Like you want to be, you're starting a conversation. It's, it's not just a kind of a new way of pitching. No, you do want to start a conversation, but... If you know the company's hiring, then that is a, that is a way to start a conversation because you're asking mm-hmm. them about their problems, right? But if you yeah. don't know if they're hiring, um, then I've, I, I usually teach my clients a different method. Um, is there's get, this will work if the company uh, if the individual is active on LinkedIn. So right. what you want to do is you want to go visit the LinkedIn profile, study it, read it, 
follow their activities. So it's easy because we can see everyone's activities. So if you click under mm. their section of activities, see all activity, look at A, if they're, they're posting, start then engaging with their post, meaning start writing comments on their post, right? Become very visible, become a fan of their, their post. Second, look at um, what comments or likes they're making on other people's posts. So you kind of get an inside scoop of the type of things they like, the content that resonates with them. And then when you start writing comments also on the comments that they're writing on other people's posts, you're kind of becoming visible to them. Right. It's a little bit longer strategy. Like you're not going to get results overnight. Yeah. Yeah. But that makes sense. That makes sense. But it's a way to build long-term relationships. Absolutely. So before I jumped in there, you were going to, so um, you were going to talk about, and I, I think you're going to talk about, so if you've approached them, and we've got just a couple minutes to the end of the show. So if it's, so say I'm, I'm following somebody, I know they're hiring, I've, I've sent my kind of, what are your pain points? What do people do next to get the job interview? So they're going to then reply back to you and let you know what their pain points are. And if you have a solution, you can solve those pain points. Uh, maybe you've solved them before, or maybe you're brainstorming. You want to brainstorm first, well, how can you address their problems? Can you first solve those problems? If you cannot solve their problems, uh, then you say, okay, you know what? Yeah, I can't help you there. And be genuine about it. But mm-hmm. if you can, it's not about selling, Right. You right. want to yes. know their pain points to know if you can solve them. And if you want to work and with if, them, like if you want to bring, if you have the skills and experience that will contribute to those them. issues, right? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And if that you makes can, sense. And if you can, then that's your in, right? Say, then you reply back saying, you know, here's where my thoughts are around your problems. Some ideas, yeah. you can pitch one or two. And then you can, at the end, do a call for action. I would love to discuss further. Let's do a, we can hop them on a call um, yeah. and discuss it further, right? So you kind of addressed at least one of their pain points. Then you're saying, hey, I can address more of your pain points. Let's hop on a call. Right. right. And just kind of do a, maybe a brainstorm session with them. You know they're hiring. Right. And if you can solve their problem, because this is a tactic actually I use as well when I go to potential client meetings. And every time I use this tactic, I've been able to close and get clients for Mm -hmm. my HR consulting business. Yeah. Because it's not that different in a way. Like, that's the thing. I think people think being an employee or being a consultant is different. It's actually not. You are actually there to help solve problems and move the organization forward, whatever role you're in. Yeah, and that's the biggest, my last tip is change your mindset. You're not a job nice. seeker, so stop thinking like a job seeker. We are, Love it. Said, we are all problem solvers, right? We get hired in companies to solve problems, not just yeah. do, do duties and responsibilities. Exactly. That's that awesome. shift needs to happen, and that's where, from coaching, I can tell you, from my yeah. experience, that's where a lot of people are struggling, and hence why they keep struggling in the job search is because they can't switch from job seeker to wait. I'm not a job I'm a seeker. Problem solver. Yeah, I'm a good job. Okay, like, that's I solve problems. Awesome. Thank you, Gurpreet. We've got we've run out of time, so I just want to let everybody know you can look up Gurpreet Kaurman on our web show, on our website, the show page, or in, on LinkedIn. Thanks, Gurpreet. 
And thank, thank you for you, listening. Yeah. We've Thank you. So much great stuff this show. Hope we've been helpful. See you next time. Thank you for joining us this week for The Leadership Leap. Liam Pico invites you to tune in for another engaging program next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help you make a successful leap into leadership. 